So welcome everyone to the Time to Unwind podcast. I am Anthony, your host, and I am joined by two of our usual crew, plus one guest. Joining us is Ben. Say hello, Ben. Hello. And John. Say hello, John. Hello, John. Fantastic. I knew someone was going to go for that. Tim is not here because Tim is in Cornwall. Um, he's going on his holidays, and I believe he's taking a Zin U50 watch made of submarine steel with him. So we'll be hearing more about that, I'm sure, when he's back. But joining us in his place is Chris. Say hello, Chris. Hello. Now, Chris, you're an esteemed member of the uh, Watch Gecko Time to Unwind team. Just tell us a little bit about what you do and your background in watches. My background in watches is I wore one as a child. I then spent my day sat in front of a computer since I was, I guess, 19. So I have the watch or the time in front of me all the time. So I then never wore a watch for years. So I think I'm going to get kicked right out of this podcast already, actually. Um, I now wear what is, I guess, not considered a watch, but an Apple smartwatch all the time, an iWatch or whatever they're called. Um, So watches, yeah. Sorry, guys. That's the first. So we have someone on the Time to Unwind podcast who doesn't appear to like watches very much. You know, we like to embrace the diversity of society. So, Chris, what what do you do? What do you do apart from not wear watches? I run an IT company. Um, I am a true geek, like playing computer games in the evenings. Yes, um, I have a family and a child, so I spend time with them. Um, yeah, but I, I run an IT company, and we put in computer systems and maintain them for businesses. Fantastic! Thank you very much indeed, Chris. So now we have met everyone. Let's um, tell you what. First of all, before we move, I was going to say let's do our uh, our usual things about what's inspired us this week. But let me reveal first what we're going to talk about because you may be wondering. It's great to have Chris on the show, but you may be wondering why we've asked someone who doesn't even wear a watch on a watch podcast. It would be a fair question, wouldn't it? And the reason for that is we're going to talk about cars as well as watches. Now, Chris is. Would it be fair to describe you, Chris, as an evangelist for electric cars? Oh, yes. I'll take that. Fantastic. We have an evangelist for electric cars. Why are we talking about electric cars? We're talking about electric cars as possibly the future. The cars that will replace our familiar internal combustion engine cars in the same way that for a long time, quartz watches appeared set to replace the traditional mechanical school of watchmaking. So what we're going to talk about later on is quartz versus mechanical, electric versus petrol or diesel and how the worlds of watches and cars, as we know, are so closely intertwined. But before we get on to this debate, um, let's go around the table and find out what has been inspiring people this week. Ben, do you have a particular inspiration? Ben always looks inspired. It's just a part of his creative Extremely inspired. I found a cool one this week. Um, I was doing research for the 1960s uh, era of motorsports for the four... We're going to have to cut that out <laughs> for, uh, for an upcoming project. Um, I, th- I think that's what's known as a teaser. I think yeah, keep yeah that maybe in. that's a teaser. Uh, and in that, I've stumbled across an article where this guy in America has bought the cheapest Porsche Boxster he could find and essentially used the drivetrain to turn it into a 1960s-style F1 car. That is mad. How so cheap is the cheapest Porsche he Boxster? He bought this for approximately £2,100, so it's $2.5K dollars. Um, and then, yeah, he used most of it. It was the, the engine, the transmission, brakes, steering rack, uh, and some other small components, um, and some suspension as well. And then essentially fabricated a, um, a body to go with it. I can show some, uh, that's insane. We're going to post this up on the show notes because you have to see this to believe it. At the moment, there's no body work. It's completely exposed. Um, but, yeah, he's been working on this for the past, I don't know, year or so. Um, and there was a video that he posted on his Instagram where, in testing, he's now hit 100 miles an hour in a straight line. And this thing that has no body work and, you know, is essentially a massive glorified go-kart made of a Porsche Boxster. And I just thought that's awesome. It's a great idea. But, you know, I know the Porsche Boxster was cheap, but he must have spent many, many hours working on this. Um, wouldn't it have been just easy to buy a 60s F1 car? They are around. Around for how much money? Do you know what? I haven't bought one recently, so no. I don't know. I would assume this is still possibly cheaper, and it has made him... 
hit some news headlines. So maybe he's got some ego out of it as well. Fantastic. Well, motorsport and ego is very closely related. Um, so that wouldn't be the first time. Let me tell you what's inspired me. And not for the first time, what's inspired me involves my stomach being filled. I have tried for the first time in my life, a few days ago, a Salzburger Knockel. What? A Salzburger Knockel. Would anyone like to tell me what a Salzburger Knockel is? Alcoholic. It's not. It's not alcoholic at all. Oh, okay. I might have pronounced Burger, it that Burger? It's, it's not. It's not. It's not. The Salzburger bit is because it comes from Salzburg, not because there is any burger in it. I'll let somebody else have a guess. I've cheated and just looked it up. Oh, okay. Well, that is my... um, I was going to use a rude phrase there, but I won't. Um, My thunder stolen. That's basically sort of... A Salzburger knuckle is an enormous cake, and it's like an enormous meringue pie. It's basically mixed egg whites, all beaten up, placed in an oven, maybe a bit like a baked Alaska, and with some jam at the bottom. But what makes it special is it's absolutely enormous. It's the size of a small mountain. And you look at it, and it arrives, and you think, there is no way I can eat this, because it is literally the size of Mont Blanc. But weirdly, because it's made of egg whites, you crack through it quite quickly. So if you ever want to impress anyone with your eating prowess, order one of those and consume it, because people say, you know, that's got to be at least sort of a suitcase full of dessert, but no, you can get your way through it. It's it's literally the size of a small table. Did you time yourself? I didn't, know. It's one of my ambitions to go on Man versus Food, of course, <laughs> but um, that'll have to wait for another occasion. I was just sort of struck by the sheer immense majesty of it when it arrived. And, How does this uh, get delivered? Do you get one shared between a table of 50, or do you get one each? To be fair, you are meant to share it, um, but I think I ate most of it myself. Um, but anyway, I'll post I'll post a note to it if anyone was wondering what a Salzburger knuckle is. Um, that's what it is. It's a great big dessert and thoroughly to be recommended. John, has anything inspired you recently from the worlds of Formula One cars uh, like Ben or from the world of gastronomy like me? Um, no, the, uh, the, the only thing that sprung to mind for me to mention this week was... Um the world of nudity, uh, which I well, that's a, that's a new one. Okay. That's a new one. Um, a bit random, I know, but it, it, this this really made my day when I read it. It's about a week ago, and it was. I think um, I know what it is. Oh, really? Um, I I hadn't realised it had kind of gone viral a little bit, but my wife uh, forwarded on to me that uh, Dom Jolly had put it on his Twitter or something. But this was a, an article that I read on the Guardian website about a German. Nudist who was chasing a wild boar that stole his laptop um, in a park in Germany, and I, you know, I, I <laughs> the, the photo is just fantastic. It it, it, it really is, um, and I'll, I'll put put a link to it in in the um, in the podcast notes so that other people can see. Did was the this wild the one boar the boar or the man? The, the laptop was in a carrier bag, so it looked like one of them was going shopping. Yeah, I mean the, the photo yeah. is just fantastic, and it just makes you think. You know, everything's all right in the world, and you you see a a, a nude, you know, slightly overweight nude man chasing after a family of pigs in a park in Germany. It's just fantastic. What was the headline, John? Uh, you swine! Exclamation mark. German nudist chases wild boar that stole laptop. That's not bad, is it? That's not bad. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. And there's a couple of <laughs> I'm just laughing at it again. There's a couple of photos in the article and uh you know, a bit of information about where he was and uh this guy. <laughs> uh but he got the laptop back, thankfully. Um nice. I, I think and he remained was, cool in the process. He must um, have really, really wanted whatever was on that laptop. <laughs> what the pig or the man? Both. Both <laughs> both, I guess. Chris, what has um what has inspired you? Um is it have you got a better nudity tale to top that? I haven't. Uh, no, I shan't say that. Apparently, um, apparently, it, it, there was a hole it, spotted in the uh, fence of the nearby nudist camp here recently. Police are looking into it. Carry on. 
Oh dear. Uh, that's actually quite easy to follow. Um, so I just the power of the sun inspires me. Um, out for a jog this morning, and when I got back, just stood in the sunlight and just did some my own version of Tai Chi, which was a load of rubbish, and my wife thought it was funny. But I was just inspired by the power of the sun and just everything it brings and gives us. And yeah, just all the rubbish and extra things we make up in our heads. And yeah, I just, yeah, the power of the sun. I just thought it was amazing. Were you naked? I had shorts on only at that point, yes. So, sort of. Almost. Fantastic. Yeah. Well, that is um, quite a thought, isn't it, I guess? Um, <laughs> yeah. So, moving swiftly onwards, um, oh, leaving welcome. aside um, naked men uh, in Germany or other countries, let's talk about mechanical versus quartz watches and electric versus internal combustion engine cars. Now, you might think that the two subjects haven't got a lot in common, but when you look at it, they really have. At the moment, we're in an era where the government is encouraging more and more people into electric cars. Certainly in London, where I live, um, for example, electric cars are exempt from the congestion charge, which is £15 a day for other cars. And it's part of the push to move more and more people towards electric cars. There are government grants as well available to buy electric cars. Um, but not everyone is a fan. So people are being, to some extent, dragged, kicking and screaming into the electrical era, but others are embracing it. Other people, such as Chris, are embracing it. We'll talk to him about that in a second, because Chris, of course, is not the owner of an electric car. No, he's not. He's the owner of two electric cars. So he's basically fully electrified. Um, So that's on the car side. Now, a similar situation really happened uh, with watches a few decades back, um, ben will give us a little bit more context about this in a second. But traditionally, watches have been mechanical. And then uh, in the 70s, was it, or earlier, the quartz movement really began to take over? Yeah, it was around the 70s, I think. It around the 70s, might have, I think. Might have um, or, or possibly a bit earlier. And really, around about that time, people thought that the arrival of quartz was almost the death of the mechanical watch. There's a great story, for example, um, about Zenith and, um, and the, the El Primero movement and how, in fact, a load of plans and parts for mechanical watches were secreted in an attic because they believed that uh, the new owners were going to sort of destroy any trace of mechanical watchmaking and bring the company uh, wholeheartedly into the, the quartz era. Um, obviously, quartz watches took off hugely for uh, all sorts of reasons, uh, accurate easy to produce, uh, but the mechanical watches came back. People did appreciate the craftsmanship and the art that went into mechanical watches. So it was really a bit of a, a roller coaster ride, and that's really what makes it quite similar to the situation with cars. So, Ben, before we move on to the sort of exact details, can you give us just a little bit of a background? Because I think sort of many of us listening, we know what mechanical watches are, we know what quartz watches are, but we know they're different, but probably none of us know the exact ways in which they're different and even how quartz really works. So, Ben, can you just give us a bit of background as to, first of all, the definition of a mechanical watch and maybe the definition of a quartz watch? Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, obviously they have very similar kind of fundamentals where they both use gears uh to advance the hands, but the, the main difference is how the energy is kind of generated and then distributed. Um, so in a mechanical watch, you've got the main spring, which can either be charged up through like the rotor on an automatic movement or through winding the crown. Um, and then the rotor then disperses the power to the escapement, uh, which then in turn kind of gets regulated through the um, the balance wheel and then distributed then through the, the hands, well, the, the gears that go to the hands to set the time. Um, so in a quartz watch, you kind of bypass the whole um, escapement and mainspring where the energy is distributed from a battery uh, and then sent through to a quartz crystal. Um, scientists have found that the quartz crystal always beats an exact amount of times per second. Um, so using a microchip, it can calculate to um, a degree of uh, it's 32,768 times a second so the microchip oh. will essentially count that and then it will distribute the power then to a stepper motor, which then in turn turns the gears. So what the escapement would do in a, a mechanical watch. Um, so yeah, th- through the vibrations of the crystal, which happen when you 
put power to it. Um, it's able to very accurately uh, time a second and then in turn be able to, to make the watch work. How on earth was all this discovered? It's an incredibly sort of like complex invention if you think about it. Um, y- you have one particular type of crystal which is uh, resonates at a particular frequency. H- how did people find it out? I mean, it's a little bit like sort of saying who was the first person to eat an oyster. It's, it's, it's odd, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is odd, yeah. I think it, it helps that quartz is one of the most common minerals um, on Earth. So I I guess it's, it's due to its, it hasn't got massive rarity, then they must have been using it a lot in, in different experiments. Um, but yeah, I'm not a scientist. I can't understand that world, so. <laughs> that's... that's uh a pretty odd one, and um, obviously, sort of quartz was discovered. Do we do we say it was the seventies? I think it was the seventies, wasn't it? I can check. So the the first quartz no. watch that was commercially sold was the Seiko Astron in nineteen sixty nine. Ah, okay, there we go. Uh, that's what my research led. So yeah, to around anyway. the seventies was when it started to reap havoc yeah. on the uh, mechanical watch. Well, industry. we see the, the needle is already starting, but we'll uh, we'll we'll keep going in that in a minute. Fantastic. We have no. I thought John had something to add, but uh, but he was looking. He was looking expectantly, and um, I I thought sort of like after Ben said that it wreaked havoc on the industry. I thought John was going to say no, no, no. no. I thought he was going to rush to Quartz's Quartz's defence and say that. uh, Well, Quartz is better, isn't it? I mean, uh, if 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 you want the, the truth. Of it is, you know, who who in their right mind would buy a mechanical watch? This suppose. is the sort of debate I was after. Who in their right mind, Ben, would time, buy a mechanical watch? I can't think of any. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, I'm playing a devil's advocate there, really, but um, yeah, I can, I do get that, and I and I can, I'm kind of before we were doing this, I was kind of trying to put myself in, you know, think, you know, if I was around in 1969 and. Uh, was a Swiss watchmaker. What would I think of of all this? And you would you would be absolutely petrified, wouldn't you? And you would think this is this is the end because you know they've perfected something which is now you know, like totally irrelevant. But, you know, it's like a typewriter. It is. I mean, yeah, it is, isn't it? It's like who wants one of them? It's like it's a nice piece of engineering, but um, but what, you know what they what they did was to reinvent the product as uh, luxury goods, and it's you know, you're actually not buying it because it's something to tell you the time very accurately, which obviously it does. But yeah, if you want, if that's all you want to do, that's fine. Just buy a quartz watch, is fine. But if you want something that's got a beating heart in it and is um, a, a real piece of mechanical engineering, then you know, maybe buy buy a Swiss watch. You know? So that, that's that's what they were. And I, I do, you know, if we if we think about that connection with cars, which we're going to talk about in a minute, I I, I really get that, and I think that's a really great to think about it you know if you think about a ferrari um you know why does somebody buy a ferrari obviously you know because it's red no would be one of the <laughs> would be one of the reasons why or if or if you know if you want if if you want the right color obviously it's red um but you don't you know you buy it because of the, it's well the engine isn't it it's the and it's the noise and it's the feeling that you get i mean I, I, i'm you know I'm the pedigree i've never driven one I don't, I don't know whether i've even sat in one actually um, but they, why would I buy one? Uh, would I buy an electric one? No, I don't, I don't think I would. That's not why I would buy a Ferrari. Um, and so I think that's the that that's kind of the future. I think for me, of of the petrol engine, it's because it's uh, of its soul and the the feeling and the noise and all of that kind of thing. And you know, so for an everyday car, does it make sense? No, probably not. Probably doesn't. But it doesn't mean it's doomed i don't think it's just it's just different john that's a really interesting point you were making earlier when you said sort of back in 1969 um what must it have felt like if you were a swiss watch company to see this modern technology coming in ben i'm going to ask you to do a little bit of of time travel as well okay what did it mean or what do you think it meant for for the industry when this happened how big a shock was it to the system when suddenly we had all these quartz watches coming in because, of course, the watch has been made in the same way for hundreds of years, essentially, since the very first watches. And this was the first major revolution, really. What do you think it would have been like to have been working in the industry at the time? And what effect would it have had? Do you think it's as big as the switch from 
petrol engine cars, diesel engine cars to electric cars is now or even bigger? I think it's even bigger. Um, it's quite clear to see that through. Um, if, you, if you're a bit like me and you like searching on eBay for things like old vintage watches like skin divers and things, you'd be shocked by the amount of brands that you see there which don't exist anymore. And especially if you search for certain eras like in the 60s. So if you search for watches that, you know, existed before the quartz watch was around, it's very likely that you probably won't see that watch in the modern day because so many companies were destroyed by this. I think it's it's a hard parallel to draw with the electric car because there's so much to be learned and, you know, it's a lot more complicated. Whereas when Seiko introduced the the quartz watch, you know, it's not terribly uh, complicated technology. I mean, obviously the concept and it's is really good and stuff, but it can be mass produced at such a small cost that you know by the time that the seventies was knocking and they were selling quartz watches by the you know hundreds of thousands most likely. That has a very quick and devastating effect on the industry, especially considering that the Swiss even now are not the most prone to change and not the quickest to react to things. So I can imagine them just sitting there going, nah, we're fucked. We can't do anything about it rather than necessarily trying. I think a lot of that happened to a lot of brands. Um, there were some interesting watches to come from it, such as from Patek, uh, I think Omega and Rolex and perhaps some other companies they formed almost an alliance to try to save the Swiss industry from dying a death. Um, and they tried to essentially come up with luxury quartz products. So I think they're called the Beta 21 mm. or Beta something. Um, yeah, and they're an interesting range of quartz watches looked at with a luxury approach. So they'd have like metal bridges, gears, as, as opposed to the mass-produced quartz watches, which just use loads of plastic. Um and then the watch was also created with that luxury approach, you know, nice case, different things, and, and the design was more interesting. Whereas the most quartz watches that have ever existed, people know them to be not necessarily a, a luxury product. I see. Now, Ben, of course, you're a great um, devotee of uh, the Datejust. Um, how much do you think a Oyster Quartz Datejust goes for these days? Four and a half. Six. Six, really, six. I'm seeing a, a new one here on Chrono24 in the UK with uh, box and papers. Would you like to revise that estimate? What upwards? material? Steel. Ten. Ten. Very good. Nine, nine, seven, five. I think that's an expensive one. Yeah. I don't think you need to. It is. I deliberately, chose, I deliberately chose an expensive one. You can actually you get them. You said new, which like maybe harks to it. You can actually get them a lot. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. It's, um, tell you what, let's uh, let's give you some more details on this. It's certainly the most expensive one I've seen. Um, I've seen yeah. the gold ones go for around there, maybe up Original to box, original papers, and worn. Cool. So that's that's quite that's quite different. Um as you say, uh, there are gold ones also going for similar prices, but I think they're all the majority I see are going for in the region of three, four, and five thousand pounds. Mm. Um, so that was that. Chris, let me ask you: um, y y you're not looking for a quartz Rolex by any chance, are you? I've got a great one for not you for, here. If so, not for. Uh, see, I, I'm almost. I'm. I'm trying to equate all this to like prices. So to me, ten grand on a watch. But I know some of you are going to say, how much do you spend on your Tesla? And then you're going to go, so we're going to have the same chuckle in a minute. But no, I, I don't think I'd spend that kind of money on a watch. So this leads me neatly on to having sort of like dug your own grave slightly on this one. How much did you spend <laughs> on your Tesla, Chris, please? Uh, I, I guess the Model S, the current one is sort of... I, it's sort of 70-ish thousand UK pounds, thereabouts. <laughs> oh, I'm waiting for the Snickers. <laughs> I was actually looking for the button that had hysterical laughter. Hang on a second. Um, can I ask you again, Chris? How much did you spend on your Tesla? <laughs> it was about 70,000 pounds. It's top right. And 
That was one of your Teslas. How much did you spend on the other one? The other one's only about 40. So So it's more reasonable. Between your two Teslas, how much did you spend on two electric cars? Well, they're just over 100k, aren't they? The two of them together, I guess. (laughs) But they're leased, so it's different. I don't own them. Right. So, moving on to serious matters. Um, what, obviously, obviously, sort of, people are getting more into electric cars. What inspired you to make the change from a conventional car to an electric car? A small part of it is the greenness. So, at home, we have solar panels on the roof. I like to think we try to do as much in our tiny little piece of this planet that I'm in, uh, to look after it a little bit, to not use much gas, not use much fuel. So I like the idea of charging up via solar panels and and driving an efficient car. And also being a, a techie person, they're more than just a car. It's a laptop on wheels that you can drive around with. There's a lot more to it. It's the auto driving. It's the whole, you can do everything you want from your mobile. Yes, you can do lots of that now, but you can pull it out the driveway. Um, it, it just, just overall, it's just like, it's the evolution of the car. I see. So Chris, just how many miles a year do you do in your hundred gram milk float? Uh, I, it depends sort of 10 to yeah, around 10,000 miles. So not, not that much. And, and the, which other sort of like longest, did, did you do many long journeys or not so much? Um, there are a couple of journeys that are sort of a 600 mile round trip in a day. You see, you say a day, probably a large part of that is spent waiting for it to charge, isn't it? After you've gone through your 200 miles. See, I got prepped for this. I got prepped. I thought you would have. I, have. I thought I you have would. notes, yeah. So it, it depends. So uh, what you would do with a traditional car is you'd drive up to a pump, you'd plug it, you'd you know, connect up and you'd fill it full of fuel and then you'd drive off and that takes however long. That's worked um, well for decades. I did it this morning. I recommend that you drive in, you fill up with yeah. petrol, what, three minutes later you're on the road again. It's remarkable. It is good. Uh, when you're doing a long journey, you do need to bear in mind charging times, but the modern cars do include that in your travel. So they'll actually, at the sat-nav, they'll actually tell you, you will need this your amount Your journey of time. will take six hours, but I'm only yeah, going to the shops. it will take a little bit longer. However, I, I quite like those stops. I find they're quite nice to uh, have 20 minutes, 30 minutes at a, a charger to have something to eat, you know, pop to a lavatory break, uh, check your phone, watch something on an iPad or watch or play a game on the car, which you can do. Um, And at that point, you're charged up and off you go to the next bit. What games can you play on your car? Uh, They're all, there's like a car racing thing where you actually use the steering wheel to drive the car around. There's backgammon, there's YouTube built in and Netflix. You could actually stream and watch TV and they, all the cars, the Tesla ones have um, in effect a SIM card in them. So you don't need to worry about tethering to your mobile or anything. So is it a hundred K milk float or a hundred K waiting room? Could be one of either. <laughs> you could look at it that way. Yes. Chris, you, you need to come back and you need to ask Anthony, what, what's the not to 60 time of his car? Oh, yeah, Anthony, what are you? <laughs> okay, what is that? Well, see, the speed to the acceleration is fun and good, but it's not something you can do very often because you just sort of hit the 20 and the 30 mile an hour limits very, very quickly everywhere. And the 70 mile an hour limits on the motorway, it does take a bit of the fun away, but it is still good. Does it have the, um, what's it called? Is it ludicrous mode? My Model S does, yes. Yeah. And okay, come on, how fast is ludicrous mode? Well, 0 to 60, I think, is something like 2.5 seconds. Right. Oh, look, he's paused. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Pretty quick. Yeah, I think very that's... quick. And of course, there's no gears, there's nothing going on there. So it's just foot down and you're there. Genuinely, I don't know the exact. I think that is about as fast as a Formula One car. I'm going to check my stats now. I'm yeah, I think sure I think that is that. about as fast as uh, as a, as a Formula One car. There's um uh, next to the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix circuit. There's a theme park called Ferrari World, and if anyone's ever in Abu Dhabi, go there because they've got a roller coaster, and this roller coaster is designed to accelerate to 100 kph at exactly the same speed as a Formula One car, and it's the sort of thing that's so fast. It's an outdoor ride. I've been on it. 
so fast that your face literally gets pulled back. So it's quite funny. And they take a photo of you, uh, which you can buy if you want, and you literally look like you've had a facelift. It's it's quite funny. So my question to Chris is, 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 is that what you get in your in your Tesla in ludicrous mode? Uh, yeah, I, I need to correct myself, actually. It's 2.3 seconds. Sorry about that. Wow. <laughs> right. And yes, that's what it does. It'll do 0 to 60 in 2.3 seconds. Go on, you can tell us. Have you done that? I have put my foot down in a safe place. Uh, I haven't timed that, but it certainly feels it. it it's the feeling you get uh, when you're on a roller coaster, when it kicks off, you know, when the pit of your stomach pulls, like when you're on the um, the pirate ships, when they're going, you can really feel it. Is that yes. why you look so youthful in your picture, Chris? You've basically had a natural facelift courtesy of Tesla. Every couple of days, yes. Brilliant. I hadn't thought of that. Tesla as a beauty product. <laughs> um, I know you're not a watch person, Chris, but... Could you equate that with what we were talking about earlier, about how quartz watches came along and suddenly mechanical watches seemed old-fashioned? Yeah, when you were asking Ben to step back in time, and I was thinking, if we did that with cars and sort of step back in time, what we might be seeing now is sort of it's the, the electric car revolution starting to happen, but they're priced out of most people's ranges you know most people want sort of a 20-ish grand car or less um there isn't a second-hand market for lots of this at the moment especially the model threes um so when they get to the second-hand market i think that's what's going to really kick off so although i think the reason one of the reasons quartz did so well is because it was so abundant and so cheap and at the moment the electric cars are not abundant and are not cheap but when they become abundant and cheap i think that is when you're really going to see the death of the petrol diesel uh lpg cars i think they're all going to be a thing of the past tesla have a bit of controversy with uh, secondhand sales as if if you buy one of your cars and they don't feel like you've paid enough for it they will un they will turn off ludicrous mode or the, all all their features i had heard about this really? yes i had heard about this cuz so. you haven't paid for the feature so it's not yours I, so that, so they I'm not turn off yeah if, if there's, you there's, the there's, I think this is part of sort of noise and news, and I don't, I, I don't know I if don't it's real, but I've heard experience. about it. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's anyway. real. Yeah, I'm going to say it's real. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> might, well, I tell you what, we should invite Elon Musk on to yes. correct us if we are wrong. He's quite a character, isn't he? I think we'd love to have him on this podcast. It would be quite funny. Yeah. I'll, I'll get him along next week for you. Give him a call now. Chris, I think you mentioned earlier when we were chatting before the podcast that you, you're also the proud owner of a of, of a, a van, a conventionally powered van. Is it is it petrol? Is it diesel? It's a diesel Vauxhall uh, Caravelle. It's a wheelchair access vehicle for our daughter. Oh, so Volkswagen, I think, isn't it? Rather than Vauxhall, if it's a Caravelle. Yeah, Vauxhall. Yeah, sorry, yes. Yeah, Volkswagen, Volkswagen. yes. Thank you. Yeah, correct me. See, don't even know. <laughs> no, no problem. How does it feel when you step from your... Volkswagen Caravelle into your ludicrous Tesla. It's a it's a bit of a joke, really. It's I'm I, I sort of equate it to people of the diesel van is a black and white TV, and then I'm now going to turn around and watch a 4K screen. Those those are the differences. That's that's a very very good analogy. How long do you think you'll be keeping your electric cars for? Because this technology seems to be evolving quite quickly, doesn't it? It seems that there is new battery technology coming in. Manufacturers are constantly trying to shorten charging times. I mean, certainly if you look at, for example, what Porsche is doing, I don't know if people have been looking at the Porsche taken, but that seems to sort of like um, brought the benchmark even further. And in fact, it's quite interesting because I guess the Porsche taken is, is probably the closest rival to Tesla in terms of um, prestige, performance and sort of size dimensions yes that is that since that's come out it's definitely caught my eye and i've been looking at it thinking oh yeah that's a nice the one thing that tesla have done which everybody else is catching up on and it's their supercharger network so throughout the world the uk whatever you want you can very easily get to a supercharger plug yourself up and charge way ahead of what everybody else is doing. Yes, dotted around, there are still fast chargers, but the supercharger network gets you from A to B a lot quicker because you're not sitting as long. 
an example, um, 120 kilowatt charger will stick around 500 miles an hour into your car. That's that's quite impressive. That's quite quick, yeah. but it's still an hour long as opposed to three minutes. Well, yeah, most of the cars can't take 500 miles yet. They don't have that battery capacity. So you get about 300, 360 or so. So within sort of 30, 40 minutes, you're ready to go with a nearly full car. How much is the full fill-up cost of the car? Well, I'm lucky. My Model S, I have unlimited lifetime charging at all superchargers, so it never costs me a penny to ever charge it up when I'm out driving. So just work that into your diesel costs and petrol costs, everybody. And where is your nearest supercharger? Mine is not far away from where I live. It's, it's in fact, it's the closest motorway junction for me. That's a shame. I was hoping to score a cheap point. Then I failed. <laughs> However, I charge up a lot at night um, on the cheap electric, and it's plugged up to a seven kilowatt charger here, and that puts over over a four hour period that puts eighty nine miles on and costs two pounds worth of electric. That's pretty impressive. Now, Ben, Chris has made some very good arguments in favour of electric cars. The fact that you know they're, they're they're faster, more efficient, cheaper to run than um, conventionally powered cars. But of course, they're also a lot more expensive. What do you think would have happened to the quartz watch movement if someone Seiko, as it was with their first watch in 1969, said, "Hey, we've got this new technology. It's uh, it's more efficient than a mechanical watch. It makes better time. It's just better in every way. Um, but oh, it costs about." twice or three times the price of a mechanical watch. I think then it would be much more niche. They'd probably have a small cult following of probably quite geeky people who would appreciate the um, the difference in the, like in the technology, like the more modern feeling. Uh, but I think it would be a much, much harder sell to get people to change their ways. That's, that is, I mean, that is what it was. So the, that first... The Seiko that came out in 1969, they made 200 of them. They were only available in Japan, and they were about 15 grand or something like that. That's fascinating. So, I didn't know that. Yeah, I thought they it weren't was a- cheap when they first came out. They weren't cheap. They very quickly became cheap, uh, but when they first came out, I, that's why the analogy for me with the cars is 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 really 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 interesting because I, I think the the time scales are, are are different, but the that concept of the you know when it first comes out. It not having the, the mass market access because of the price, I think that's that's there. But you know, for an electric car, you know, I was just trying to think, you know, what? Why haven't I bought one? And for me, it's it's the it's two things. I think well, three maybe three things. It's the the the, the cost of the car, the, the distance that you can travel on it, and the uh, the inconvenience of ch- of having to stop and charge it up. If, you know, if they well, in in ten year, five or ten years' time or something, you know, I tend to buy second-hand cars. So I suppose that's the other thing. I'm looking at the new ones, and they're just so expensive. So when the second-hand market is more accessible, when the charger network is more in place, and you can charge up quicker, and you can go for, I mean, that's at that point, it just becomes a no-brainer, doesn't it? And it's, I think, that's the same with the watches. Is like, why, why would somebody who doesn't like the mechanical aspect of a mechanical? I mean, you just wouldn't buy one, would you? You'd describe it as being old-fashioned. You know, my children, they would just think it was ridiculous, wouldn't they? And I think that's that's what, and, and I'm sure it will happen if you look at the phone technology. You know, batteries in phones—it's just insane, really, isn't it? You know, the power of the power of a phone, the, the amount of battery capacity that you've got in such a small space—they—they they have managed to do that. Um, you can charge it up in no time at all. Um, I mean, it's not as the petrol engine is great, and you know you can fill it like you say you can fill it up in no time, and the petrol step. But if that infrastructure wasn't there for the petrol car, then it would be you know, and you're kind of describing, yeah, what you do is you get this flammable liquid, and you pour <laughs> it into the boot of the car or near the boot of the you car. Set you set fire to it. You, yeah, you sit you sit on top of it, and then what I'm going to do is pump that flammable liquid to the front of the car, and I'm going to have these explosions going off, and that's going to be. Do you want to? Are you happy sitting there? It's like fucking no, no, Jan. <laughs> <laughs> so, John, how long did you know, how long did it take for that first um, that that first quartz Seiko? How long did it take for the quartz watch to go from a really niche, expensive object to something that was produced on the mass market and became very? I think affordable? it was only a few years. So it was sixty nine when when that thing came out, and 
So it said, okay, so it, it's about 10 years then. So by 1983, the crisis had reached a critical point. The Swiss, Swiss, Swiss watch industry, which had 1,600 watchmakers in 1970, had declined to 600. So the, the industry's less than halved in, in 10 years, or just over 10 years. And in that same year, the two biggest Swiss group, Swiss group manufacturing groups merged um, to form the company that then went on to be the Swatch Group. Um, so it, I'd, I'd have to very quickly try and find a few more time points, but yeah, if we said 10 years, um, so how that, how that relates to cars, I'm not sure really. It's interesting, you know, as um, Ben was pointing out earlier, I guess quartz technology is, is very simple compared to the technology needed to, to run electric cars. I mean, Chris, I think your car has an electric engine for each wheel, is that correct? It has two, um, so the Model S has got two electric motors, one at the front, one at the back. Right. But of course, what you're missing... What, has what's the Taycan not that's there. got an engine for each wheel, hasn't it, or an electric yeah, motor think, for each wheel? Well, it has one at the front and two at the back, or the other something way around. Like yeah, that, I think it's yeah. got three or something. But what you're missing is there's no gearbox, there's no fuel pumps for fuel, or all that stuff that can go wrong or needs maintenance is all gone. Interesting, interesting. Now, Chris, what did you drive before you made the switch to your Tesla? Uh, it was a Lexus NX thing. And yeah. Lexus NX, now that's, um, for those who are not aware, that's, uh, that's, that's basically a, a prestige brand. It's owned by Toyota, and they make fast Sporty cars, don't they, Chris? They're, they're good cars, Lexuses. Yeah. yeah, this was um, an SUV one, so oh, yeah, it was. It wasn't. It wasn't too sporty, but it was. It was quite nice. Did you, did and, and, and what? Which engine was in that car? Well, that was the biggest thing that let it down. Actually, really? uh, I think yeah. it was a two liter or two and a half liter diesel or petrol. I can't quite remember. It it was a couple of years ago, quite a few years ago, three years ago, from the looks of things. <laughs> um, but it it was so it was quite rattly and quite noisy. You see, that's probably why you switched. Because what I was about to say was that the great thing about a petrol engine car or a diesel engine car, as long as it's a nice big engine, is it's mechanical. It's alive. You drive it. Those rattles you talked about, it's a beating heart. You feel the, you know it's moving. So I'm I'm rambling, but I think you see the point I'm trying to make. And, you know, I think that's the same is true of a mechanical watch, isn't it? Oh, yeah, I, I get that totally, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I think that's why probably people came back to mechanical watches even after quartz was widespread. And I think people didn't mind paying more for the fact that, you know, they had something that was hand-built, painstakingly built, and respected a certain tradition. Now, now Chris, as a, as a, a self-confessed technology fanatic does that just sound like basically blasphemy to you deliberately looking backwards no so i i see the beauty in a cleverly nicely made engine and what it can do and the parts that move and it's you know it spins however many thousand revolutions a minute and it doesn't shake itself apart and it delivers power and it sounds noisy and good I get that there's still going to be a neat, well, there's still going to be a market for that. It will be a niche market. And I can imagine on Sundays, certain aged gentlemen and ladies will be rolling out those cars on a Sunday to drive them around and make loads of noise. But I, I, I see the car as a bit of a, a utilitarian thing. It just gets me from A to B uh, and I don't need it to make noise. I just need it to travel nicely. The autopilot does most of the driving attention for you. Yes, you're still paying attention. Your hands are still on the wheel, but it's just, it's, it's just the evolution of it, I guess. And I guess you've, you've hit the nail exactly on the head there, Chris, because for many people, a watch is just a means to tell the time, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Whereas I think for people who are watch people, it's there's more to it than that. So I guess a lot of it comes down to your own individual attitude towards cars and watches. Is a car something that you see? And in fact, I'm going to turn this into a question for you, Chris. Sorry to put you on the spot. Is a car for you just a means of transport, a way to get you where you need? Or is there something a little bit more to the whole experience for you? 
I, it's definitely just a thing that gets me from A to B. It happens to be technologically cool, which I quite like. Um, but people say, oh, can I take it for a drive? And I'm like, yeah, of course I can. And they're like, what, really? You'll let me drive your car? Yeah, I, I don't care. It's just a box on wheels that I happen to quite like and travel around with. But I know people are very precious about their cars, and I guess people are precious about their watches. That's a really interesting point. Would uh, Would you let someone else wear your watch, John? Ben? Depends who it is. Depends which watch uh, it is. I, so you've I answered yeah, the question straight away, so, haven't you? I wouldn't be too happy, I don't think. Um, if not... Could anyone else be worthy so, of such an Explorer 1? Uh, I, I wouldn't feel, I'd feel a bit weird, actually. So that's the point, isn't it? That is the point. Especially I just with don't the car, see no. them like that. Probably no one. Okay, so um, a question for John and for Ben. Um, someone turns up here and they want to either borrow your watch or your car for an afternoon. Which would, be, would you be more happy handing over? This is um, because I, th- I think it's John. Is that John an Explorer stumped. One I can see on your wrist by any chance? Indeed, is it? Um, that's a really good question. I wouldn't be comfortable with either. I don't think. Um, I'd probably, I'd probably say the watch. Fantastic. Um, I'm, uh, it's going to be hard to ask you the question, Chris, because of course you've not got a. Well, you got your Apple Watch. So, which which would you rather? <laughs> which would you rather lend someone out? So, if if um, if, they can borrow either, I don't mind. Really, really. So it's like doesn't 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 matter which one. No, I they're think. just things. They're just objects. They don't. I. They. They don't. They don't have any inherent like value. I don't feel warm when I use them. I like the car, but uh, yeah. I think if someone turned up at your house, Chris, wanting to borrow either your watch or your car, you should hand over the keys to the Caravel. So there you go. Fill your boots. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Don't come back. Perfect. <laughs> that's, that's, um, that, that, that's quite an interesting one. So do you see yourself ever, Chris, um, obviously you drive the van for practical reasons, but do you see yourself ever going back to, uh, to conventional power or is this is, are you electric for life now? Oh, definitely electric for life wherever possible. I mean, if, if the electric subs set up in the UK disappears, then obviously I'd have to go to something else. Well, I wouldn't because I've got the solar panels, so I'd be all right. No, I don't think I don't think I'd ever buy I would never purposefully buy a fossil fuel based car again unless we had to. So wheelchair access people, uh, you need to make sure you get your vans electrified sooner, please, because we need to change ours at some point. <laughs> Are there any electric vans? That's an interesting point. I've I've seen there like are. in London you have the sort of DHL style vans, don't you? Not DHL. Yeah, FedEx they do do them. Whatever. But um, what? So for the wheelchair accessible people, uh, what they normally do is they buy the van and then they convert it. They put the lift or something in it. Um, but I I have ha- I have looked and I can't find anyone who's buying electrical vans and then putting the wheelchair lifts in the back. If anyone out there is has a van with a with that's yeah. electric with a wheelchair lift, let us know. We have one very interesting one customer. person who wants one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have seen. I think Nissan do an electric van, don't they? Because I've seen it doing deliveries in London, and obviously for courier companies, for example, um, in London in particular, they can benefit from having their congestion charged for free. And I guess you know, electric cars. I'm not a real hater of electric cars as I've come across. What it is, is that I can completely see the value in an electric car for cities, for short journeys. But I often do long journeys and um, I'll be sort of terrified of running out of gas or power or whatever. Has, has that ever happened to you, Chris? The first couple of months when I had one, I that was a concern. I think they call it range anxiety. So you're, <laughs> you're worried about, oh, what's going to happen? But you very quickly go out of it. I think I have a picture within the first couple of weeks of myself of the mileage uh, thing where it tells you how many miles you've got left. I've got a picture on my phone of three miles left in your car. And at that point, I was a little way away from a, a charging point and things were starting to sort of go slow if you put your foot down not much happened you moved a little bit so that did start to get me concerned but i've never got anywhere near that since i i have changed my driving style to enable that to not be a problem a friend of mine who has a tesla model 3 he um it's a slightly interesting analogy but i think i get it he said that well you just change your mindset and your attitude and he said rather than become a driver you become for example like a pilot of a plane and you know the range is the range and you just plan your journeys around it with plenty of time in the way that an airline pilot would. 
Yes. Yeah, completely. And the thing that people think, if you're only doing sort of 10, 20 or even 100 mile round trips a day, imagine never having to go to a petrol station ever again. Well, that because would be you just plug, you plug it up in the garage or at home. It charges itself permanently or you're constantly. And every morning you get in it, it's full up or has plenty of charge to get you to and from your destination every day. That's pretty good. So um, I've got a question for uh, John and for Ben. Um, both BMW fossil fuel drivers. Um, any any chance of you replacing your car, Ben, for an electric equivalent at any point? Um, I think the not spending any money on petrol thing is pretty cool. Uh, but due to the prices of the cars, it doesn't necessarily offset it enough. Like if the, if the cars were cheap, then maybe. But if they were cheap, they'd also be pretty boring. Uh, they probably wouldn't have the 2.3 second acceleration, which that sounds cool, but yeah, I don't know. Not really for me at this stage. I think that as things develop, and they will develop very quickly, the answer will most likely change, and especially as you know, the environment is a thing, like with quartz versus mechanical watches. Mechanical watches were very lucky that they don't destroy the earth, but petrol cars arguably... I guess they destroy destroy quartz mines. Yes. (laughs) Um, So, you know, the the petrol car has less of a chance of a long existence just because it could be banned. I mean, you're right, obviously, petrol cars, uh, sorry, electric cars are expensive for for what they are. Yet, of course, a lot of people around here wouldn't hesitate in dropping a lot of money on a mechanical watch. So, uh, yeah. why is that? Do you think it's just that the watches speak to you more? Or? Yeah, I think that the largest thing for me with mechanical and petrol cars is the emotional attachment um, and the kind of the experience of owning one. Whereas, let's say you have a manually wound watch, you, you wind it every day, you know, it's got a beating heart and, and stuff and you appreciate the engineering that goes into it. You kind of draw that emotional connection. But with a, a smart watch or an electric car, it's maybe a bit more like Chris's relationship where it's just, at all and you don't really care for me you know cars can be an incredible like emotion driven experience or like a masterpiece of engineering something comes to mind recently i watched a video on the lexus lfa um and just the engineering that's gone into that to create it all as a visceral driving experience that's very centered around sound um you know that kind of transcends just being a car uh, and that's what I like about about cars because of more so the experience rather than just getting from A to B. I think what I like about um, a mechanical watch is also the fact that, you know, many of them are hand-wound. You interact with your watch in a way that you wouldn't with a quartz, well, you can't with a quartz watch. And I think that's a, a real important part of, of, of the experience because the reason why people get attached to machines it's not just looking at them in an abstract way. It's sort of interacting with them, isn't it? And that's a yeah, exactly. You know, when you put your foot down, you're going to hear a certain noise and you know the engineering that's gone into that. Also, obviously, gear changes are not the most uh, they're not the most effective way to uh, go up speed as, you know, the electric, well, the lack of gearbox in an electric car shows, but you also can't, you know, blip the revs and rev match or heel toe in a electric car. So there's, slightly less to it, less involvement that you can have in the car that kind of sets your driving style or your, you know, your, your, your wants or needs with the car into effect. John, of course, you're a BMW driver, I believe, equipped with a nice three-litre diesel engine. Are you going to be swapping that at any point for anything electrical? Yeah, I would. I would um, in, in time, I think. Uh, it's just it's the cost thing for me. As I, you know, my car is uh, how old? I'm just trying to think how old it is. Um, it's 14 years old, I think, and you know it's not worth an awful lot of money. Um, so it's kind of it's free almost really. You know, um, uh, obviously I've got to put diesel in, but we don't do a massive number of miles. It's comfortable, it's reliable, it's fine. Like, so I, I would, I, I'm, that's that's my personality though I think really it's like if it ain't broke don't fix it kind of thing um but I, I don't I don't have that 
to to that car, I don't have that kind of connection with the um, the engine and that. I'm not bothered about that. It's an an automatic. I wouldn't. I definitely wouldn't go back to a manual car. I don't think. Um, and I, I, this when we got this car, right, it was an auto, and I was a bit kind of like, oh, auto? Do I want auto? Uh, but once I've got used to that, and there's no way I would go back to a manual. So I think that you know, I'm kind of thinking if you know my daughter's going to be learning to drive next year, and it, se- it does seem odd to me for her to be you know learning to drive a manual gearbox petrol car, because that I think if I was her, I'd be thinking that's a bit. Why would I bother learning this? Like you know, learning to ride a horse or bit, something. Yeah, like that. it is. It does seem like that. So that, and I don't know how that. You know, for driving tests and things like that, I don't know how that. There's going to be a big change there, I think, and I think that maybe would drive it. You know, once you so let's say she learns to drive in an electric car. There's no gearbox. There's no engine or anything. There's no going back then for her, is there? She wouldn't then be able to to drive a, a you know an old fashioned car, would she? So that, yeah, the license would. It would be different. That she can it? only yeah, drive, drive that, that, that class that, of, that type car. of car. Yeah. Um, and I think you know if you think about like, motorways and things like that, you know the autonomous driving. It just it, you know if you think about the future, it's it, it's, it's going to make sense, isn't it? You know, the whole kind of automation I, thing and all the rest of it. I think a future where you don't drive your own car and it does it itself is is, is a sad one. I, I I like driving the car. I like interacting with the car, and um, I. Uh, I, I I just like the fact that you know uh, a car for me is like a, a mechanical. You live in London, don't you? So I, 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 yeah. I, the, the, for me, the thought of driving a I car drove in London. Ten hours yesterday. Is there's just nothing worse for me than than the thought of doing? I mean, I I don't do it. You know, you you do, don't you? I that that for you know I I think why would you why would you want that and on a nice open road? You know, driving on a nice open road, I get that, but in a city. Who wants to drive a car in a sea in traffic jams and all that kind of thing? You just want to get from A to B, don't you? In, a, in an effective, in, a, in an efficient and effective way. I disagree, John. This really? is why, like, you go to any fairground, the most popular ride is the Dodgems. It's just like that driving through London. <laughs> like you just ramming people. It's, it's, it's fun. It's fun. So, I would actually buy an electric car, but only when it's as convenient as petrol. If, for example, and you know. You, I'm sure you can tell us more about this, Chris. If there's a future whereby, for example, petrol stations are converted to Tesla-style fast chargers and you can charge your car and have 500 miles of range in less than five minutes, then I'm sold, but probably not before. I think BP and Shell are doing that in that you lots of the garages now are going to start to have charging points at them. But I think there is, and I'm not a scientist, but I think there is a problem with delivering such high voltage, ampage, whatever it is, down a cable into a battery pack and keeping the batteries cool at, at more than the speeds we're doing at the moment. They literally have to water cool the cable and the batteries have to be water cooled as well. So there is, there's a chemical and something reaction that goes on when you're trying to deliver so much power so quick and i, I don't know how they're going to fix that one thing that you is that called about, electrocution uh, <laughs> chemical reaction probably if you don't do it right one yeah. thing or that you bomb. talked about is obviously charging your car at night maybe i'm just paranoid but wouldn't you be worried at the start about that going wrong and just the cable setting on fire or something burning your house down it's exactly the same as leaving your TV. Well, it's exactly the same. It's similar to leaving your TV on. It's just you, a... You leave your just, TV on at night. <laughs> leave it plugged up. So there's power trickling through all your cables and all it is. So the car's in the garage. The garage is separate from the house slightly. Um, and it's just plugged up and it just charges. It's yeah. Everything's got safety circuits everywhere. Things will trip if something goes wrong. The voltage is too high. Here's another I, I'm, thing. I'm not worried in the slightest. Here's another thing. A friend of mine has got um, an electric car in London. It's um, an Audi e-tron. And he's actually uh, going to give it back. And he does like it. He does like it. But the problem he's got is that he's reliant on those on-street chargers. And there are quite a lot of them in London. But, of course, you've never got the certainty of finding one. And you've never got the certainty of knowing that it's it's going to be available and I think if uh, f- for them it was just causing them too much anxiety, will there be a charger available? Um, y- you know, will there be someone parked in it? Um, maybe even sort of like a petrol-powered car that's got the space. And occasionally, of course, they found it wasn't, and they had to go around looking for one, and it was just causing too much hassle, essentially. 
Yeah, I would say that's probably one of the big things that the planet needs to solve. Because if we've all got electric cars at night or wherever you go, you've got to be able to fill it up quickly and easily. And there's loads of things going on. Uh, there's tests for um, streetlights where, because they've got electric going to those, where they actually have adapters that come out the bottom of streetlights that you can plug into your car. There's also like bollards that are sunk down. And when you pull up next to them, they come up out of the floor. Then you plug yourself into those. There's loads of companies trying to get those solutions out as quick as they can. But it's going to take a couple of years. Fantastic. Right. I think we should wrap up this podcast by going round the table and I am going to put Ben on the spot first. Hello. And um, it's a simple question. We're talking about how new technologies have replaced old. If you could buy, Ben, one electric car and one quartz watch, what would it be? I don't know enough about electric cars to make an educated guess, so I'll go with whatever car Chris has, the ludicrous one. He's got two, though. Yeah, well, the good one. <laughs> okay, so um, one Volkswagen Caravelle for, yeah, one um, of those. for Ben. Quartz. Maybe some sort of Grand Seiko quartz yeah. watch. They do some good Classy. luxury modern quartz watches, and I like the brand. So, Absolutely. John, I'm going to ask you the same question. You're, you're looking undecided, um, uh, but yeah, the question is sort of which... Well, yeah. I like to surprise people. Yeah. Um, so w- one electric car... And one quartz watch. Um, so electric car, uh, I, 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 I don't know. Uh, the, the, the the Porsche sounds nice. Um, Taken looks well, lovely. Does hybrid say. count? Because uh, I'll change to a LaFerrari if it does. Hybrid does not count. Okay. I'm sorry. Um, so I'll go with the Porsche and I would go with the, um, the Rolex uh, Oyster Quartz that you found earlier on for 10,000. Uh, that sounded pretty good if that was in mint condition. That, that sounds like a, a great choice. For me, um, I would definitely go for the um, the Porsche Taycan, which uh, which we looked at, uh, we are talking about earlier. Um, I've seen it in the flesh, and what's remarkable about it is that it doesn't actually look like an electric car. It's very distinctive, but if anything, it looks like a sort of blend of a 911 and a Panamera, which which I think is excellent. And I too would go for um, uh, a Grand Seiko. Um, there was, uh, I wrote about it, I'll find out the link in the podcast. Um, the uh, the Flying Pig, the Porcellino, uh, did you see that one? It's a yeah. red uh, Grand Seiko watch um, based on uh, a Japanese movie which featured a fictional Italian First World War flying ace. It's a bright red watch. Um, and a Seiko and, and wonderful. And I particularly like the fact that, um, as I learned today from John, that Seiko were in fact the very first producers of quartz watches back in 1969. So I'd feel that I was really buying something that was a sort of monument to that tradition. Um, and Chris, let's leave it with you. Um, I'm going to ask you to break a, a habit of a lifetime and choose a watch and to choose another electric car to go with it. I'll pick a watch and it'll be the Tag Heuer, I don't know how you say that, oh, yeah. Aqua Racer. Oh, very good. I quite like the look of that. I've, 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 years ago, I liked the look of that, one of those types of watches, and I thought, oh, they're quite nice, but I've never really had that kind of money. Um, and then if I had to buy a petrol car, because if we're inverting it, I'd get an Aston Martin Vantage. Very, very good choice. Nice. I like it. I like it. Fantastic. Well, what um, we'd like to do to end things up with is normally sort of have a little bit of a vote of a competition and um, we're going to go around and we're going to say petrol or electric, quartz or mechanical. Ben, petrol or electric, quartz, mechanical, what's it going to be? Choose two. Uh, I'll go petrol and mechanical. Petrol and mechanical. John? Um, I'm going to say electric and mechanical. Oh, I'm going to go petrol and mechanical, really unsurprisingly. And Chris, let's leave it with you. I'll go pet. Oh, petrol. Oh. Said it. Oh, <laughs> Chris goes to petrol. Thank you very much for joining the podcast. Yeah. Um, you have been listening yeah. to Time to Unwind, and we're all in favour of uh, petrol cars, apart from John. Thank you very much. See you later. <laughs> That's actually a good finish. <laughs> yeah. Great. 
Cool. I think we're done. Thank we you go. so much, Chris. I think that was great. No worries. Hopefully it'll survive. Some of it will survive the edit. If yeah, no, no, edit. it's good fun. It's good fun. There's sort of lots of banter and it's this sort of thing that cool. sort of like, uh, you know, it's, it's really wide ranging and yeah, yeah, no, no, I really enjoyed it. Well done, Chris. Thanks okay. for doing that. That's, that's no fantastic. Thank cool. you ever so much. Hopefully you won't lose too many listeners or they'll be who's No, no, we'll get, we'll, yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll get requests <laughs> wanting you back. No, that would be funny. Okay, cool. Right. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Cheers Bye-bye. all. Have fun. See ya. Thank See you. Ya. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Time to Unwind podcast. If you enjoyed listening, we'd love to hear from you. So please leave your ratings of the show through your podcast app. And be sure to reach out on social media at WatchGecko with your thoughts. Adding a rating and a comment really does help the podcast, so we'd be grateful for your support. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode.